0: Welcome to Mastermind, the show where you learn to develop and master your skills from the best of the best. Yes, your host,
1: Mr. G. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us today on the journey towards self mastery. Welcome to Black Thought University, our monthly program that challenges the black mind to think, develop, and grow. I'm here with the co host, Mr. Paul Robinson, and we are ready to start thinking. In a world where Black people are practically on the bottom of every statistical category, who is going to be responsible for the change that we need to create our reality and improve our condition? We seem to have two different ideologies when it comes to this. Individual Black folks need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps, or Racism, white supremacy prevents us from doing constructive things for black folks. So why even try? History has already shown us that if we don't take responsibility for solving our problems, they will never go away. In fact, they're probably gonna get worse. Change starts with social responsibility. What can I do to better my community? Today, we're gonna be chatting with a few black folks that have asked themselves that exact question. We are here with Professor Paul Robinson, professor of black studies and we have Dr. Love, educator, author, screenwriter, and school principal. Welcome, guys. How are we doing? I'm doing well,
2: sir. Doing well.
1: How you doing? <laughs> and Dr. Love is with us. All right. Um, good to have you gentlemen on. You know, before we even get started, you know, I did want to tackle some of the historical uh, components of personal responsibility um, and, you know, what what we're supposed to be doing. Um, I know that people might not agree uh, exactly with what we're supposed to be doing or how much we should be doing or when we should be doing it, whatever it is. But I think we can all agree that we need to do something because, you know, it's pretty bad right now when we look at the overall state of where we are at. Um, So, Professor Robinson, uh, Mr. Historian, um, can you share with us just from the historical standpoint, like some of the things that some of the constructive things that have been done? and um, kind of how, how we got to where we are right now. Because I think, you know, when we look at right now, it's like some, I hear people say, well, Black folks don't do for Black folks and, you know, nobody's, you know, protecting Black women. Nobody is watching, teaching how to teaching these Black boys how to be men and to pull up their pants and teaching these Black girls. Like, it's a long list of just nobody's doing it. But there's a history of us actually
3: doing it. So what, you know, what was oh, that and what happened to that? What What's interesting is that, um, we have the exact same problems we had since, since this inception of us being on these shores. Um, they, they've been modified with technology, you know, throughout the years, um, with, with different things. However, we've had this, we have the same exact problem. If we go back a hundred years, we can go back to, uh, Booker T. Washington. We can go back to W. E. B. Du Bois. We can go back to Marcus Garvey. All three of those, all three of those, those guys were around the same time and they understood the fundamental question that Dr. Love and I struggle with every day. We have phone conversations about this on a daily about what's our responsibility and we kind of go back and forth. And as as you go back in history, those 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 three gentlemen that I mentioned, they've all had the same struggles. They all believed that uh that their their way was the best way. And they fought back and forth tooth and nail about their positions. And this, so and it's always been the same question: What's our responsibility? Eighty-five percent of the masses were were struggling with this question, and these three guys believed that they had the answers to these questions. W. B. Du Bois believed that he he was part of the talented tenth, that that elite group of of ten uh, percent who would lead the masses, that eighty-five percent who would lead them to prosperity. Um. Uh, Booker T. Washington believed the the, the bootstrap approach—you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, Marcus Garvey was a kind of mixture of both, a little a little more radical, I think, than than both of those gentlemen. And he remember he he had he had the masses with those parades he would have in Harlem, those elaborate parades that he would have. He had the ear of the people, you know, as well. But all three of those guys struggled with the same same concept. We're here. What are we going to do, and what's our responsibility to black people? Mm-hmm. so it this is, this isn't anything new uh th- there are different distractions and different variables right now uh we, you know we deal with um technology, you know modern technology, but it's the same question, and they they struggle with it. You go back even further. Harriet Tubman struggled with the same "What's my responsibility again uh the other the other slaves were looking at her like she was crazy. But she understood her responsibility. The question is, how do we get the masses to understand our responsibility? And it's something that Dr. Love and I struggle with daily. How do you how do you respond to the to the black to the black person that that does not have a does does not have a, a license to do plumbing? Does a great job with the plumbing, but but kind of jerks us financially. Do am I am I supposed to embrace him? As my brother, when he's just taken three thousand dollars from me and it, it costs a thousand dollars to get it done, <laughs> do, I, do I embrace him? Those are things, those are real, those are real questions. And mm. I called Dr. Love and I said, come on, really? And it's, it's those types of things that, that we talk about. But overall, universally, we both understand that there's a there there is a responsibility that, that we have. The first thing I was taught. And uh, graduate school in terms of African studies, and I, I remember vividly second day of class, my professor said, "If you're gonna if you're gonna be an African studies advocate or historian, you cannot be afraid of your people." And, and I was, what does that mean? What he what he talking about? And I started to understand as I went on, and we did community stuff. I started to understand what he meant regarding that. Regarding those things, uh, you, you can't, you cannot be afraid to do what you're supposed to do. That means a whole host of things, and I know I'm, I'm talking. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop right here. But there, that statement is so profound, and I'll get back to that later. What, what that meant for me, and what that means mm. for me. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop there and turn it back over to you. Yes, sir. And that makes a ton of sense to me, um, especially
1: as we mentioned history about like the fear component. Because I feel like so many black people, especially the grandmothers, the grandfathers like that scene, you know, the the uh you know, the the trauma from the Malcolm X killing and Martin Luther King and Medgar Evers and all these people that were, you know, doing a lot for the community that, that ended up getting murdered. And um, you know, we, we have that fear that if I do something good like something good, somebody's gonna put an end to it. And I could definitely understand that. But like you said, like we can't be afraid because of that. Um, another person that you mentioned, too, was Marcus Garvey, which I think we could learn a lot from um, in regards to these things, because when we talk about, you know, these conversations, sometimes we all have a difference in opinion and people start getting to the arguing and, you know, my ways, the right way or whatever it is. But you know, Marcus Garvey got with different black people from all over that had different ideologies and was able to come together for, you know, that that greater good that they wanted to accomplish. And there wasn't the bickering and the fighting and this and that. Everybody knew what their role was, and it wasn't about what your religion was or, um, you know, your social status or whatever it was. You know, we all—they all had a a role to play, and I think that's super duper important when it comes to you know solving some of the issues that we have. Uh, to get to uh, Doctor Love, I wanted to ask you about um, that. You know, the the historical component of relationships and our and our family responsibilities in terms of fatherhood motherhood, um, boys, girls, uh, de- developing them into men and women and things like that. And right now we kind of see things shifting, right? The high divorce rates, you know, the father's no longer here. Um, and then a lot of confusion with the boys and the girls and, um, you know, not knowing what it is to be a man or or a woman and things of that sort. Um, and, you know, I just want to have your take on that. And Again, how do we, how do we get back to these things? you know uh it <clears throat> it's It's a deep issue, definitely is, and I
4: think that you know we have to view it in context, and each one of us has a background which gives us you know a, I think a different view on this situation. My background and my foundational beliefs are pro-black. And that's something that, you know, I I embrace fully. So looking at it from that worldview, I believe that the Black man and the Black woman are the foundation of the Black community and the Black family. And through that lens, I believe that we're each other's responsibility.
5: Mm -hmm. And
4: the families that we build are an outgrowth of that relationship. I grew up I'm a a late sixties baby. So I grew up during the seventies and I got to see that in the transition, southern seventies boy, we had family and we had, we sat out on the porch and enjoyed each other's company and people came by just to sit a spell and visit with us. And we developed rich bonds, not through, you know, any kind of force, but because that was the culture that we built. We didn't have the disagreements that we had. <clears throat> that we have today between husband and wife or, um, man and woman, because there were certain ideals that we embraced. Now, some of those ideals are antiquated in terms of how we view women and women's rights and, 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 you know, allowing women to really fully embrace and exert their power. And of course, those, you know, should be put by the wayside. But some of the foundational uh, views, some of the foundational practices were put in place so that we could develop rich families and rich communities. For mm-hmm. instance, there wasn't this system of, well, if you want, I always told my students in class, they always laughed, that if you want to date my daughter and you come by and you're a young man and you're like, oh, I'm interested, excuse me, I said, if you want to, if I have a car for sale and you want to buy my car. And you come by and you're like, hey, I like your car. I'm like, okay, great. You want to buy my car? And they're like, oh, no, well, I'd like to test drive it. So I let them take it out and test drive it and come back. and say, hey, you ready to buy my car? And they're like, well, no, no, not at this point. And they go away. And they come back the next day and do the same thing. So I'm like, are you ready to invest with this car and buy this car? No, 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 I'll go out and I'll come back. Mm. Well, after about 10 or 20 times, you're really not interested in the car, you're just using the situation. And I look at it the same way in terms of dating and relationships that if you wanna come by and you wanna see a person who's related to my son or my daughter, my daughter or my son, you have to be a person of quality who's willing to invest in them. And if you're not, it's my job as the father of the family or the mother of the family to be like, hey. No, there has to be some safeguards around this. You can't come around and date my daughter and take her wherever and and go all over the place and do whatever with her and then just leave her at my doorstep. A relationship is a commitment and a responsibility. And if you're not willing or not able to take that on, then you should leave the situation alone until you're able. And the family used to function as a filter, a blockade for the nonsense. But we protested and we got rid of that. Oh, that's old fashioned. You don't have to come by in court. My father courted my mother. He came by and introduced himself to my my grandfather and my grandmother. And he declared his intentions and told them he was working for the phone company and he would be able to support my mother. And he wished to date her. And then culminating with asking for her hand in marriage. And my grandmother said, absolutely not. You're too old for her. You're too old for her. You know, you're worldly. She's just out of college. Absolutely not. And my father left. He told me this story. He said, he left, he said, he quoted Shakespeare. He said, faint heart, ne'er one fair lady. And he decided not to give up. He would come back and speak with my grandfather. And there was a system in place. You know, to, for protection. When they went out on dates, you had to have another couple or someone, a family member escort them. There was no just, you're just going to take my person out, whoever, and use them for whatever you wanted and then drop them back. You know, and, and this is the thing that I think that we've sacrificed in our relationships and it's impacted our community. Now we know some relationships are just not going to end well. That's fine. However, I believe firmly that we should give relationships an honest chance. And to do that, we have to have mutual respect. You know, any woman that is, that is going to be taken out or uh, shown a good time by a man, there have to be safeguards on that. So the situation is not taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. If you want to date my son, I want to see you and know you and know that you're a quality person. In the end, it is the person's decision but the family should be involved in these relationships. How many times have you seen a person forced into a family and forced into a relationship? No one in the family likes the person and it actually fractures the family. Hmm. If we want better fam, stronger families and stronger communities, then we have to start investing in our relationships. All of us. It's not just, Oh, she's seeing that guy or he's seeing it, but we're dating this person. The whole community has a a vested interest in seeing this relationship work. When you go to your homeboys and you're like, yeah, I want to step out on my wife. I want to see this girl over here. Your homeboys should be like, absolutely not, man. You have a commitment to your wife and I'm here to back you in that commitment. And I have a commitment and our families get together. and We're a strong community and we're not going to fracture it on nonsense. We should have those kind of communities. And then all this other stuff, it won't exist. It won't be a, the factor that it is, you know? Not so, the, the it, I, I know I go on too long, but in short, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, you know, let's really start investing in each other in relationships. Let's really get the family back active in all of our relationships. Let's stop this, you know, the, the free day in and the hookups and all that. Unless that's what you want. If that's the kind of lifestyle that you want, then more power to you. But really the foundation of a whole community has always been just us and that goes for if it's you know whatever people are into today in terms of gender and all that it's
1: still a relationship and there's a foundation to be had there so it should be respected now dr love that makes a ton of sense um to me you know right but to a a young person listening in they might just be like "Well, what is this guy talking about like you know what i mean like meeting the family and doing all this kind of stuff like how do we how do we translate that message to the young generation so they can kind of re- repeat that that some of the some of the um, the great things that you did mention that allows like a family structure to to build and to grow and to develop um, and not for it to be broken like it is now. So how do we get that message to these young kids in a in a way that it makes sense to them and right? Um, I mean,
5: we're well, always. Yeah,
1: I I always taught. I always taught middle school
4: because I love middle school children because they're just growing and learning about everything. And there's very swift. They pick up on relationships. They can explain what happened with their mother and father or the mother and the boyfriend or father and girlfriend. They they pick up on these things. So in able to get this across them, I think just be honest with them and say, look, the family. Family comes from the word famul, familiar, becoming, getting to know. And what we want is to build families that know and support each other. Mm. So when you go out and you find someone and you want that some person, that someone to be a part of your life, understand you're asking them not only to be a part of your life, but a part of your family. And that should be respected. -hmm. And give it to them like that. Make the schools. My outlook on schools and building school culture was always: we're a family, and the family has guidelines and standards, and support and love, and that's exactly what we want you to build in your home. Now, if you come from a home where the family structure, you know, was was tumultuous or or you know certain things disrupted it, then it's going to take a little more. You know, effort and creativity on your part to set those standards.
5: Mm-hmm. You know,
4: one of the biggest things I think that we lost, and I lost it growing up as well. So I speak from experience. We used to sit down and eat dinner together. We used to sit down and eat dinner as a family.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Now everybody, it's like even if you put food down in the kitchen, everybody grabs something and runs to a different corner of the house. And as long as the Wi-Fi is working, you won't see them.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: It, Let's sit together. Let's turn everything up. Let's talk. I know this one family now to this day, once a month, they have family meetings. Everyone in the family, they dial in or they sit down together or they go out to dinner and they plan. They talk about what they're doing individually and how they could put money together to purchase property to enrich the family and to pass the wealth along. They talk about business opportunities. They talk about hopes and dreams and supporting those who are going off to school and higher education. That's what family is. And we it's like something that we put aside and we never went back to. And I think children would understand and love it if we just went back to it. Mm. And the last thing is my grandparents, we would watch TV. They would pull us in the room and shut off the TV and insist we have like family game night on Wednesdays in the summers, we sit down and we play family games with them. Spend some time, get
1: familiar. And that support, I, I believe it'll go a long way. That makes sense, that makes sense. Um, we have a question from Jingo.
6: Hey y'all, wanted to make a few comments um, on this topic of social responsibility, just responding to and adding to the things that uh, Mr. Robinson said and Dr. Love said. Um, Since, Dr. Love, since you were talking last, I just want to respond to something you said. I completely agree about um this idea of families, that, that the union between two people involving the families. Right. I think that's very important. However, I do want to offer that family doesn't mean ownership. And so True. the the sort of the comparison of your daughter to your car might, may not be what maybe what you men.
3: You're
5: right.
6: You know, <laughs> You're absolutely people, right. our children there's this poem that I that I grew up hearing as a song that goes, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. Ooh. They come from you but not from you. And though True. they are with you, they belong not to you. Ooh. You can give them your love but not your thoughts. They have their own thoughts. You can house their bodies but not their souls. For their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You can strive to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. Hmm. And so that—that that is, um, I think that we absolutely support our children, and we are there for our children, but we cannot control our children, and we can't, or we shouldn't, I think, I believe. We shouldn't try to control our children or to try to um control our children's lives. And so the decisions that they make about the people that they want in their lives and the type of relationships they want, I think that, you know, we support them being safe and creating, um, you know, self, safe, healthy relationships with other people. But we're not there to you know, tell them you can't date this person or you can't go out with this person can't come to my house. That's 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 my belief. Mm -hmm. um, At least I believe in raising children. And I've been thinking about this recently, too. It's sort of the difference between a leash and a harness. Right. A leash is to control is to you, you yank the leash on a dog to sort of face, you know, to make them do what you want them to do. harness is really more to, you know, keep them from falling off a cliff or, you know, just to keep, you know, yank them back from traffic, you know, keep them safe. Mm. But allow them to make, you know, to make their own choices and to know that, you know, whatever choices that they make and they when people will make mistakes, people will enter into relationships that that um, they find out maybe I shouldn't be in this one. And they hopefully they learn from it and their family is there, you know, for them through that. So I just Mm -hmm. wanted to offer that. And I think that's also a part of social responsibility as well, is that constant love, you know, no matter what someone in your family and your family is your family, your friends, your community, no matter um, that. I mean, that's the deepest type of love, you know, no matter what you do, I'm there for you. Mm -hmm. Um,
5: Indeed.
6: So. And then I wanted to respond to what um, Mr. Robinson had started talking about. too. It made me think about in terms of the history of social responsibility, um, this idea of not even idea, but the practice of the social aid and pleasure clubs that used to be very um, prevalent in our communities, particularly, well, at least I'm I'm familiar with the ones in New Orleans. We still have social aid and pleasure clubs. And that was, um, you know, they started out during a time when, Um, Black people were not allowed to participate in certain uh, areas of, uh, you know, we couldn't get insurance, for instance, or we couldn't, um, you know, white funeral companies would not bury our people, they wouldn't do it. So we came together and we did so much for ourselves, you know, through these social aid and pleasure clubs, we pooled resources so that, you know, when a particular family was in trouble, there was money there to support them. When someone died, there were funeral expenses that were paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing to remember. Um, I think that we can be very hard on ourselves as a people. And I think that we can, it's easy for us to kind of ignore the, um, just the the rich and um, just astounding, you know, things that we have done. Um And, you know, how we have come together, how we have worked together, Um, we formed we we formed cooperatives. Um, You know, we black people created the first community 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 land trust. Sorry. A community land trust is a concept of essentially the community owning the land and individuals owning buildings that exist on the land. And that's a way to um, that was formed um, to help to um, retain and save land that was actively being stolen, um, you know, from Black people, um, particularly in the South. So the Community Land Trust was formed in Georgia um, in the, I want to say, mid to late 1960s, and it's a concept that still is around today um, and is practiced throughout the country. Um, Farmers' cooperatives were very prevalent and are still in existence in the South among Black people coming together um, to support one another, um, and to make sure that all of us are, um, you know, all of our businesses individually are successful because we come together as, as a collective. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's just really important to remember those things, you know, we, we have done and are still continuing to do, um, you know, some really, uh, wonderful things. We think about, um, if anybody is um, celebrates Kwanzaa or at least is familiar with Kwanzaa, the Nguzo Saba, the seven principles are, you know, grounded in this idea of, um, you know, taking care of one another, of this idea of social responsibility, um, you know, making our brothers and sisters problems, our problems and solving them together. Mm. And um, it's important to, you know, to keep that in mind. um, Sometimes we can take that too far. I think probably um when we have to make sure that we have a healthy balance, that we're not suffering and sacrificing unnecessarily individually, um, but that we're taking care of ourselves individually and you know, having enough um, you know, to to support our you know, to support our brothers and sisters as well. But anyway, that I just wanted to make those couple comments.
3: Interesting. Uh interesting enough um in terms of what you said when you were speaking um in, in regards to what dr love was saying about about his daughter um i believe that that there should be a certain amount of uh, uh there, there should be a certain foundation that I should be laying for my for my daughter before i send her out there and i let her her kind of explore there's information that she needs to know information that she needs to have and those 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 family foundations those those codes, those rules. And as Dr. Love said, some of them should be placed to the wayside, but other, others are very important. It's very important for me to have the foundation for my child before I send that out there to make those mistakes. My my job is to make sure that those, that transition is as smooth as it can be with with her learning, learning what she needs to learn, but it has to be a foundation. And the foundation comes from me. That's my That's my responsibility. To my child, mm-hmm. and and I, I think we can't move away from that before we we send her out there to fly. She's got to know. She's got to know the the ins and outs of all those things. I mean, it's very important.
6: Absolutely, I agree a hundred percent. We have to prepare our children. We have to prepare our children for the world, and then and allow them to experience it once they you know. One, but but we have to send them with tools. You yes. can't just you know leave your kids out to to fly. And, Particularly our daughters, and and I think that from from that perspective, we also need to make sure that we are actively working to make the world a safe place for our daughters because I know that I, I know that there is a tendency to um, to teach our daughters with fear and to tell them all the things that they need to be aware of and how they need to protect themselves against men or the or you know men who may want to do um you know violent or you know disrespectful things to them, and I think that we don't spend enough time on the other side making sure that boys and men are not taught to or put in situations where they are um, where they do things that they should not do to our girls mm. and our and, you know and our women and that, so I think both of those sides are are, are very, very important. Oh, as um as many indeed. as many fathers who are you know, who are concerned about their daughters going out into the world, um, they need to make sure that they're pouring lots of love into boys and men, you know, into boys who are coming up and teaching them to be you know, how to be. So mm. they're not repeating um uh inappropriate and um violent, disrespectful um, behavior that makes the world an unsafe place for mm-hmm. girls and
3: Absolutely. women. Great points. Absolutely, great Absolutely. points. Um, Doctor Love, would you would 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 you kind of um talk to them a little bit about 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 the foundations? Um, I'm glad. I'm Jen. I'm glad you said that because it's kind of segues into a project that Doctor Love pulled me into, and I had no idea that it was going to have such an impact. Um, would would you kind of speak to that just a bit? Oh, you're talking about the, the program that we worked on in middle school with boys
4: who were interested in basketball. And all we did was use basketball as a tool to not only uh, shape them as better basketball players, but as better citizens of the world, you know, more uh, enlightened citizens. So we linked their basketball uh, performance or ability to perform with their uh, scholastic integrity. And, um, you know, what they were doing really in the classroom. So we had progress reports that were fluid every single day. Teachers let us know what students were doing. And we worked it to the point where even the, the basketball players were, you know, co, um, co, were co-responsive to their teammates. If they saw a teammate going off the path, you know, either academically or socially, they would help guide them back on. And you know, it really blossomed into something that that um, encompassed the the um, the girls' basketball team, the cheerleading squad. It really became the dominant culture of the school. This idea of again, family and and co culture responsibility, and it, it was wonderful to see. And I hope one day to do it on an even larger scale with with all that are that are interested, because uh, like Sister Jenga said that. There is no way around it. We can't have a better society without creating better boys and better men. You know, too much of the onus is put on women when things don't go right in terms of sons or daughters and whoever, when, you know, fathers and concerned men who aren't the fathers of of children, you know, have a social responsibility to teach. Mm. Problem is you can't teach if you're afraid. And you know, we used to have a culture where it was set in—you know—matter how, what kind of person your elder was, there was a, a, a some type of respect present. But now, all too often, you know, older gentlemen, uh, you know, gentlemen who are not as big as maybe some of these giant teens and stuff like that, are kind of apprehensive about approaching them because they're afraid of the backlash. I've even spoken to sisters who. You know, they wanted to start um, programs to assist girls and, you know, etiquette and things like that, things that boys, you know, etiquette program for boys and girls. But they were afraid of, you know, what the girls would say to them or how they would be standoffish or dealing with their parents. So there's still a lot of work
1: to be done. Mm, Indeed, indeed. Uh, Dr. Love, I know you mentioned, uh, you know, the basketball program that you and uh, Professor Robinson did. And it kind of reminded me of, um, you know, athletes, uh, you know, NBA players, um, NFL players, uh, all the whole litany of athletes, black athletes. I don't know if you guys have read uh, William C. Roden's $40 Million Slave, but in $40 Million Slave, he kind of makes a segue into like how black athletes used to have this whole like um, social responsibility about, um, inspiring, motivating, helping, contributing to the Black community, you know, like your Muhammad Ali's, um, your your Jim Brown's, um, and so forth. And now it's transpired into what we have now, where athletes, well, don't have that kind of, like, responsibility. Some of them do it, you know, on the, on you know, some of them do things, like, on the side, like, they they give money, but it's really rare that we see, like, you know, these athletes that are hands-on in the community, like they used to be back in the days, So do you guys think that these athletes have a social responsibility being that they're of a higher class, they have the money, they have the uh, ability to support and help the black community? Do you you think that, um, you know, people should we should expect more from them or that it's not even something we should be considering?
3: I mean, there's a couple of things there and a couple of things that are very important. Um, They do have money, but a lot of them don't have the information. The ones that are doing, and there are a handful of them, That there, there, there's a high, I'm gonna say a higher percentage out there working in the community, you just never ever hear about it. And that's not by accident. There, there are a host of people who really do things for the community. And there are people who just give money because they understand that they don't have the information. And one one gentleman said to me one time, it's just not my thing. I don't, that That's not my thing. <laughs> There's nothing I can say about that. Like, <laughs> it, it, it really is his thing. He just doesn't understand that it's it, you know it's his thing, but he he doesn't get it. But he would he he said, take the money, you do what you do what you do. You know, and that and he, you know, he doesn't he doesn't believe he has a social responsibility, but on the other hand, he really does believe he he should be doing something. And a lot of times they just don't know what to do. And they're really embarrassed to ask. Um, you know what? What I should be doing? It's funny. I do a lot of work with um, Brother Norm Daniels, and we do work with the churches and things. And what happens is, the churches will try to get us to join (laughs) the churches. You Uh know, they'll go back and forth and back and forth. And I say, nah, just not, just not my thing. I'll help you. It's just not my thing. And when they ask for money, I say I don't give money, but I'll give you all the time that I have. And they're not real happy with that, you know. They, they're not real happy. However, I will give you my time. I will work with your children. I'll do programs for you, but I won't give you any money. I decided a long time ago that I'm not going to give any, any money to to any of the groups that I work with. In terms of that, I get it. You know, um, my my time won't turn the lights on for them when it's time for them to pay to pay the light bill. But I, you know, I give. I will give my time. I will give you as much time as you need but going back, it's just a lot of them just don't know. And the ones that know and the ones that are doing, they don't highlight it. So you'll never know yeah. about it, you know? And, and some of them don't want you to know. Kyrie Irving, perfect example. He does his thing, yeah. but he never yeah. highlights what he does. Never highlights what he does, he just does. And you gotta respect that.
1: Mm-hmm. True indeed. Got it, got it, got it. Um, Dr. Love, did you wanna to respond to that or?
4: Oh yeah. Um... I think we have to learn to manage our expectations when it comes to millionaires and pro athletes, and you know, being a part of the black community. I mean, let's face it; they have more in common with with wealthy people of other communities. They're rich; we're not, so their interests are elsewhere. So, I think that you know we have to start turning back to ourselves and the communities as leaders of our children and as leaders of our communities. Stop looking for you know. These other luminaries to, you know, light the way for us because that's not what they want to do. That's not where they're there. That's not the side of the bread that is buttered. It's not buttered by us. It's buttered by others. Think about it. The, the luminaries of the past, were they so big on social responsibility? And this is not about Muhammad Ali because we'll just put him to the side. Hmm. But the other luminaries, did they want to be so much for the black community? Or did they have no choice? Hmm. If you saw the um Jackie Robinson story. He would go into town for a big baseball game, and all the other the white baseball players would stay in the hotel. he couldn't hmm. so families would take him in, so he had to be a part of the black community because he was right there in it, you know so many so much we were locked in together, and we worked together. but once they you know put on the glass ceiling, i won't say took the lid off, put on the glass ceiling, then it gave people. The idea that they could escape blackness if -hmm. they just marry someone else of a different race, or if they just get out of our communities, they could somehow escape being black. And that's not the reality, but that's what they're thinking. And that's what keeps being fed to them. So I say, you know, let's say, Hey, we appreciate these talents, but let's stop hanging our hearts on people whose interests are elsewhere and let's work together cooperatively to build, you know, luminaries who are connected
1: to the community, and who ride or die for the community.
5: Hmm.
1: That makes a ton of sense. Um, now, talking to you guys, I know you have a great sense of social responsibility, and you guys know what it is that you're put here to do for the Black community, um, for yourself, for your families. Um, where did this all come from? Like, where did you guys get the idea of what your social responsibility is? Because as we talked about, you know, nowadays, it, it it's not really a rite of passage coming up for, you know, the older folks in the community and tell you like, this is what you should be doing and, and leading by example and doing all these type of things. So where did you guys get that idea? Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing for the community, this is me, um, this is how I help black folks out. Um, and what are some things that you guys have been doing since? Interesting, good question.
3: Great question.
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll just tackle it because I'll be, I'll be short. I mean, black women are everything. Black women are everything. You know, our fathers and our uncles, they provide wonderful role models, some of them of, you know, the guardrails and and some of them give us great ideas of manhood in terms of taking on responsibility and following through. But it's cemented from when you're younger by your mother. You know, your mother's your first teacher, your first guy, your first counselor, your first nurse. So, you know, her thing was always she wasn't like a Malcolm X black person, but she was a culturally enriched person. So she exposed us to different things and she played, you know, different types of music for us. I remember Bob Marley and Teddy Pendergrass and Marvin Gaye and and Stevie Wonder, you know, always figuring prominently, you know, in the case and the books that she read. And she turned me on to James Baldwin and Langston Hughes and and all these luminaries who were grounded in blackness and how she worshipped Nina Simone was such a big deal and how she saw all these people in concert. So I really think that You know, that, you know, the black woman is the seminal part of our existence and, you know, getting away from being protector and, you know, respecting and, you know, being a person that is the covering so that our sisters can walk the earth without feeling like they're going to be attacked. I think that's part of our responsibility, like Sister Jenga said, creating safe communities, Making it safe for sisters to walk the streets, mm-hmm. making it safe for sisters to be in relationships, because the husband knows if he does anything to her of a physical nature or anything like that, then you got uncles and cousins and friends and all that that are gonna see him personally and privately. It's that kind of thing that, you know, is is necessary. And in terms of grounding us to that, I think our sisters and our aunts and our grandmothers who fill in. You know when all the above goes, you know, goes south. I think that's that's the important part, and fathers are even a more crucial part of raising black girls than we know, than than you know, than we've suspected. We always said, oh, a boy needs a father in the house, a woman needs, a girl needs a father or a father figure or someone a uh, uh, you know that of that nature more so in that it helps her. When she goes to look for what a man is or what a person should be of quality character who is a male, then she has something to go by. And not just guys who are in and out of the, you know, the transients and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that we're grounding our children to their social responsibility by what we teach them, but also by the examples we set the what the experiences we introduced them to and um, that comes through
1: again you know yeah. our relationships
5: mm-hmm. the
1: black man black woman black whatever black. all right uh professor robinson how,
3: how did you come across your social responsibility well there were two two big events in my life uh one was m- my mom joined uh and it was kind of like peer pressure Her friends uh, what they had a group i think it was the Dorothy Hyder group it was a woman a black woman's group. Dorothy Hyder. Yeah and she joined the group and she didn't have a babysitter so she would take me and my little sister her 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 job shifted and she had middle like that three to eleven shift but she would still drop me and my sister off there and I was amongst all these black women and they were just planning they were planning planning and I was like, look, I'm, I'm nine years old. Why do, why do you keep leaving me with these women? I'm not doing anything. And, and she, would, she would say, no, you're going to support. You're going to support anyway. And I would just be sitting there, but they started to organize. And what I found out, is it's hard to do nothing. So I would listen to what they were saying and what they were doing. And I was picking things up, but I didn't understand until later on the organization piece that that I picked up. The second event was I I, I was in trouble as a kid a lot. So I got banished for the summer and I had to stay in the house the whole summer. Uh, consequently, I was my, my room was in the basement and the library was in the basement. And again, very difficult to do nothing. There's no cable in the in the in the 80s there was no cable in, your <laughs> in your basement. It was the black and white TV with the with the uh, hanger, and I was getting no reception. So I started looking at the books, and I'm looking at books. Soul on Ice. I'm trying to yeah. decipher that very complicated when I read it again later on, I understood it in college but um malcolm x uh, there was there were so many black books down there. I read the whole down going series um, while I was down there so i i got a i i got a, a baptism by you know by being down there, and I would just read and read and read there was nothing else to do and that's when I started learning my my social responsibility so it it just when I got to college. I just wanted to know more and more about, about black folks. And so I had some great professors, you know, in college and they, you know, they taught me. My, my end of my freshman year, I got a scholarship to go to the University of uh, the West Indies in Jamaica. And it, it wasn't, I wasn't a super, super scholar. I, was, I just kept asking, are there any internships? Is there anything I can do to go to Africa? And then I, I had no money, but then I figured I'd worry about the money piece later on. And when they when they told me that I could go to uh, University of the West Indies, I said I don't have any money. And they were like, "Don't worry about it. You you have a scholarship. We're going to pay for (laughs) that." That was it. That was it. And they drummed that in your head. They drummed the social responsibility piece in your head. When when that professor, when I went to grad school, and the professor said you cannot be scared, afraid of your people, you know, know. she was talking about social responsibility. You had to go to the shelters and work in the shelter. That part of your class. Your, your classroom attic. if you had to work twenty hours a week in the shelter, I don't want to go a shelter. I was like, I don't want to do this, but you get to meet, you get to meet people, you get to talk to people, you get to actualize with people when you go to the shelter i I went to children and family shelters and i would I would work with the kids in there those those things those those things firmed up my sense of social responsibility got it got it um
1: and what what are some some of the things that you guys are involved in now like uh in regards to the work that you do, because so I know you guys won't won't say it unless I ask, <laughs> you know. So what, what 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 are you guys
3: involved in? Oh, well, most recently I was I was doing um this thing with Dr. Love. He 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 doesn't give it. He doesn't do it justice. I mean, when when we did this, I'm a basketball coach. So when we did this basketball thing, he calls me in. kind of set me up. He called me in and said, "I need you to come come coach this basketball team." And I don't like middle school kids. I've never liked middle school. I taught middle school for a month. And then I got the head kind of it. Couldn't do it. The middle school kids are intense. Couldn't do it. So he called me. And I didn't really want to do it. He said, come on, come on, you can help me out. No, he said, I'll help you out. So I was like, cool. I didn't know the impact that was going to have. I didn't realize that. The only kid that got suspended was the kid that that pulled his friend who was on the team out of the classroom because he was about to blow up we had gotten to the point where the kids were regulating themselves and it was all based on, on family. Um, Dr. Love kept preaching. We're family now. We're a group. We're a unit. And it wasn't about basketball. These guys were not that great at basketball, but they, they were great human beings and you, you knew it. And we, we would, we would just go through different things. It got so crazy that kids, kids just wanted to come along. And we said, all right, come on. Let's go. It was that because everybody wanted to be part of what he, what he created in the school. It was it was unbelievable. I do I do a few mentoring programs with PAL. I do um, a boys mentoring program in a middle school. I do uh, recreational programs right now for kids. But I my my mentoring program is I, t- I take kids in, in in the middle school in Long Island, and we uh, they have to come to me twice a week, and then I put them in a basketball league. Again, these dudes don't play basketball, um, They but they, they're they learning to play and they want to play basketball. These are the guys that don't necessarily make the basketball team, but they cause all the noise in the school. So the principal this is a sister. She'll call me and say, you need to take this one, this one and this one. And they'll come. They'll come with me and we get to monitor their grades. And we're single handedly saving a lot of them from from bumps because most of them were getting they, they have a no tolerance policy. So they get into one incident they're they're gone for the rest of the year. It's that type of thing so we we've we we've been able to quell that you know that that whole that whole thing and mm-hmm. we and we just provide i i do a couple of different you know different programs you know here and there, but it really i just kind of i work with the uh the basketball teams then and, and they're all black kids you know so I kind of work with a lot of different students and and it's kind of the same theme that we have. You know, we're all responsible for each other. Hmm. That sort of thing, and we we yeah. we were able to slip black studies in there because if I tell them I'm I'm talking about black folks, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> if I slip it in there, they're like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. You know, that that sort of thing. So we have to kind of interject it, you know, here and there. But it, I mean, it's interesting. Hmm. We I'd say that both of us deal with maybe about a hundred kids a week. I'd say, would you say, Doctor Love, about a hundred kids a week? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, we're, we're trying.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that is great work, man. And I love how you said it's, 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 it's basketball, but it's really not about basketball. And I think that a lot of like coaches and people that kind of do other things, like the minute you can spend time with a kid, like you can practically infuse anything into them. You know, it's not just about whatever it is you're assigned to do, Like you guys are assigned to teach them basketball, but you're teaching them about life and, um what it means to be a man and all this you know, family and all this stuff that you're incorporating along with it, and I think that that is huge man and that is, that it's not just about the sport but it's about learning about life so you know kudos to you guys for doing that work um I wanted to open up uh to questions if anybody had questions or feedback or comments or if you wanted to share kind of your own philosophy on social responsibility and the work that you're doing um you know. If anybody wanted to provide any feedback or have any questions,
0: I was just going to add um, this is Moisinia speaking, um, that um, I've been listening to Dr. Love and um, Dr. Robinson and um, the very nice lady. I don't remember your name or know how to pronounce it. Please teach me. Jinga, jinga, jinga. Jinga, jinga, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's quite remarkable to hear all these different aspects. You know, I'm originally from Nigeria, obviously, so there is a. Uh, there are differences when I hear something and you know, a massive similarities. Um, but what I will add is, you know, culture evolves over time. Um, so when you when you all were speaking about um, how the family was grounded back then and how people sit down and eat dinner, that was how I grew up in Nigeria. And I think it's pretty much the same thing now. But I, I can see that changing over time. I could see it, you know, um, becoming what the U.S. is today you know so i think that yes the responsibility for every person is to really go back to that place but i i think personally it would evolve to what it is and then eventually goes, go go you know go back around i mean that's my um that's how i'm you know how i'm looking at the world cuz it, it naturally things are supposed to evolve and in in a lot of sense it's not the direction that we would like it to you know but that's just how um how life goes um but you know, but it is our responsibility for sure to make sure that we are a part of the changes that happens because we can't put that on someone else's hand. Um, we are our own savior, you know. And and I think the reason why there is the uh, um the reason why we're having difficulties today is because we're looking out for someone else to help us, you know, and that's why there hasn't been any sort of change. But if we decide and say, listen, man, this is my responsibility. This is what I need to do for my community. Starting from the home, then yes, things will start to, to turn around. So I just wanted to add that. Um, so but great, great discussion though, for sure.
1: Amen, amen. Uh, I right know. Yeah, I had a question for you. Like, how did you kind of discover your social responsibility? And
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a calling for me. I think naturally if at home, I've always been the speaker, right? Someone who just questioned things. Um, and I know that um, Dr. Love was speaking about father being there. You know, my father was, you know, still is so very much the man of the house. And, you know, no one says much. Um, and so just having that kind of grounded, you know, um, having that male figure at home was definitely very helpful as, helpful as a woman now because I'm going out into the world. I'm like, uh-uh, you remind me of this. No, you know, the standards are so high for me. I mean, it it it, make, it puts you in a smaller pool though because, you know, men are like, oh no, she, doesn't look, like... <laughs> she right. doesn't look like the easy type, right? Again, so, but that's how I was raised. I mean, you know, my father was very, you know, when I go out on dates, the guys have to drop me off six blocks from my house so and then i have to walk all the way home (laughs) so my father was very serious about that and my mother would always say to me if you get pregnant i'm gonna throw you and the baby out of the house obviously it wasn't nice for her to say that but it it kept me really straight (laughs) so having that male figure at home is good and having that grounded family unit is also very powerful because that is something I always go back to, you know, and even as a woman, my, my, the way I carry myself and, and, and the way I see the world is from my, it's because I, I see it at home first. You know, they say, I heard a man said once that the voice that you instill in your child, um, stays with them forever. So even if That's I'm right. out in the world, um, the things that I hear out in the world doesn't, it, even if i stray away i would always go back to what my father always tell always tells me what my mother always tells me so that voice of parents is very very powerful for sure for sure and jen um i i know i can't pronounce your name again look at me the woman with the very long name jenga Jenga? yeah jenga jenga Jenga. oh very beautiful i I, and i really love when you made the point when you said that we, we should also put the responsibility on men as well this and that is universal for sure from both whether it's been Africa or in the U.S., I feel like men aren't really taught much. And I uh, forgive me, not all of them, but I think a lot of emphasis should be placed on, on men and we have to empower the, the guys as well, as much as empowering the women. And definitely fear is not the best way to do that. It hasn't worked. It's not working. So we have to figure out a, a, a better way to do it. So yes. Um, hmm. I hope I answered your question. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I kind of want to ask you more questions. About I say. I say. <laughs> Jinga. <laughs> uh yeah, jenga um jenga. how did how did you develop your your social responsibility? I know, uh before we even move on to jenga um Imortenia is a is a storyteller. Um so uh she tells black stories, man, and um I think that's amazing work that you're doing with that.
5: Thank um, you so much.
1: She has her own YouTube channel and um Imortenia, you want to give us some information so we can get to your stories.
0: Sure. Um so What's well, IU Media dot Media Are on, on, on Google? Um and basically the stories. i I'm a storyteller naturally. Again, it's you know, the beauty about being in the US and the beauty about coming together and seeing blacks from other parts of the world, right? Because, I mean this conversation again, um, um you know, it's it's very you know, blackness is so beautiful and it's so diverse, you know. Um you can't sit in one place and just watch that. So being a Nigerian and coming to the U.S., I I find that it's quite remarkable to see how unique we are and how beautiful we are. Yes, obviously, in Nigeria, we have all of that, but also coming to the U.S. and seeing that. Um, And so when I began to tell stories as a little girl, I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. I didn't know how to do it. But then something crazy happened to me. And I said, you know what, I really want to tell stories that showcase um, the positivity of how people are, you know, how people are able to transform their lives. So part of the story I tell today is called on the bench, and this is just um, sitting down with people who have gone through a series of challenges in life, and they're using these challenges as tools to transform their lives. Now there isn't any color to what I do, so I can say what a white person say, what a black person. But you know, again, you can't, you can you know, when life is pushing you, you can't alter it. You just kind of go with the flow. So far, my guests have always, I mean, the first guest was a black, a white guy. But then everybody else I'm getting after that is just Black. And so I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm just curious
6: to
5: see where it's going to take me. Excellent, excellent, um, yeah. excellent. work, man. Excellent how work. How
6: can we find Thank your, you. how, how do we find your channel? Is it just IU Media on YouTube? Yes. Yes, okay. IU Media on YouTube. Yes.
1: Alrighty. Um, Jenga. Um, Jenga does so much work uh, for the community, man. And I, um, uh, Jenga is also uh, a guest on the program. Uh, so you can check our individual episode uh in Martinia, coming soon um but jenga like um you had i feel like you had an opportunity to kind of like you know i think we 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 all have opportunities to make money and to focus on the me and to do you know that kind of thing, and I think that that's like very eurocentric like that i my uh mentality and things like that, so you had an opportunity to do that like you're doing pretty well, and then after Katrina, you kind of decided to go back into new orleans and and um you know rebuild the community, so like what kind of made you feel that sense of responsibility. Um, and can you just share some of the work that, that you do for the community?
6: Yeah, um, I think it's it's definitely the way that I was raised. So after Katrina, once Katrina hit, I realized that I needed to be back home. I was already looking at, um, I, I was feeling like though I had achieved my goal, which was to break into the computer animation industry and start you know, working on digital movies, I didn't feel fulfilled. And the way that I was raised, I was raised to see my life as a contribution and And I didn't feel that I was you know that I was doing that and or at least in a direct way to um you know to my community and I think my parents, my mother in particular, was always really supportive of whatever it was that we wanted to do and but I think that our family defined success by um by not only contribution, but also, but just achieving goals. So we, I wasn't raised in a family where success meant making a lot of money or, um, you know, success made have meant having a lot of material things. So those things have had never been really important. I mean, obviously, money is important. <laughs> Let's just be real about that. Money is absolutely important. But for me, it was never, um, the way that I was raised, it was never the goal is to make as much money as you possibly can. Um, and to hell with everybody else. And I don't think anybody else is, well, probably there are some people who are raised that way, like intentionally, but I think most people are not intentionally raised that way. Mm Um, but, um, so anyway, and, and I think that in, in my family, um, um I was raised by parents who were part of the black liberation movement we um they and uh some and and their peers and other of our family members um started african centered schools well a an african centered school down here um had a, a printing press had sort you know just various things like that that were really meant to um like shift our culture away from some of the unhealthy, um, you know, practices that we had adopted out of slavery and moving back towards um, some of the, um, I guess what my parents, you know, looked at and thought as traditional African, you know, practices. And that's, you know, coming from people who were raised here in America, they had to figure out, you know, what are these traditional African, you know, practices that we were um you know, talking about my name is uh, it's a Swahili word that means to build like my parents did not speak or my parents are not Kenyan or from Tanzania or Uganda or, or anything um but they um you know they studied the the language and they wanted to give us names that they wanted to give us positive names um or names that have positive meanings um in an African language and they they chose Swahili because it's a widely spoken language. Um and these are words. These are just words um which I had to learn, you know, late later in life that our names are are, are words and but they are words that have positive meaning. So I, I kind of, you know, go with that. Um but I think so so I guess at the end of the day it's just the way that I was raised and I think that was really um, you know, just instilled in me that um, you know, we we are always supposed to be working to make our lives, to make the lives of black people better in some way. And I think um, what I mentioned in the at the top of the, the show, that, that you have to make sure that there's a balance. Because for me, as a child, I took everything very literally. And I think I sort of interpreted like, I have to sacrifice, I have to suffer. And I don't think that's healthy either. You should not um you know completely uh you know ignore your yourself and your own needs in service of quote unquote the community like you really do have you do have to take care of yourself and I think it took a while for me to actually accept that and to not feel guilty and and I think that um there are people and particularly other women that I talk to who um have to uh you know who kind of um maybe fall into that that mentality as well that you know our lives are supposed to be at being of service to other people means ignoring yourself Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely not healthy you have to take care of yourself and you have to make sure that you're on good standing ground individually in order for you to be a service and to serve your community so um Anyway, after Katrina, I did, uh, you know, leave my um, my career in computer animation in New York and I came back home and started. um, Working in my community started a nonprofit organization down here, um, definitely went to the deep end, like I described to you all before where I wasn't taking care of myself and I wasn't, um, you know, taking care of my own needs. And the needs of my daughter. I have a, my daughter is 17 now. She was very young when, you know, when we did this. And ironically I did it all for her. You know, I wanted her to see that um, I wanted her to see what was possible. Um, and that, you know, when you make a decision about what you want to do and you pursue it and you work really hard, you know, you can achieve it. If you want to be of value in your community, you know, this, this is how you do it if you want to make something out of nothing, you know, this is what, this is how you, you know, you can achieve it. Mm. Um, But I think on the flip side of that is probably, she probably suffered more than she needed to, you know, if I, had I, you know, made, uh, made different decisions, but at the end of the day, you know, she, she's great. She's a wonderful person. I'm really proud of her. You know, she's about to go off on her own and um, you know, not she, everybody's fine. She's good but um this was uh you know it was the way that i was raised um you know to see my life as a contribution Mm -hmm. and um you know now i'm coming to balance you know how do i um work in and with my community to make my community a better place and make sure that you know i am well taken care of as well like it's okay to have to to be comfortable you know it's okay to not be stressing every day about paying bills, and mm. you know it, it it's okay to um you know to to enjoy your life to to live a nice life, and to do things that are just for you that are not for everybody else
5: mm.
6: you know those are okay too
1: well said well said um I do think that you know we do go oh, to the extreme you know where we we feel like I have to sacrifice myself for the greater good of the community and um we do get into that where we forget ourselves so thank you for bringing that up Jenga. and um i think that serves as a reminder for us doing the work you know cuz sometimes you get lost in the work um and you know the impact it's having and people talk to you and tell you about how much it how how great it is and that kind of just feeds you know into you and you want to do more and i think it's important to remember about the self like you just said um you know take to, to, to take care of yourself so you are in a position in a healthy position to help so thank you for mentioning that, Jinder. Uh, do anybody else have uh, a question or wanted to share their own social responsibility? How they discovered it and some of the things that they do?
3: No, I'm Daniels. On, Daniels. <laughs> All
7: right, good evening, everyone. You know, when we talk about a story, you know, I'm trying to figure out where, where should I start? Um, I, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from a family that, that had a, what we would call an open door policy. Uh, in other words, if anything happens in the community, you know, my mother and my father would le- would have people come and stay at our house. And when we moved from Brooklyn to Queens, it was the same thing. Um, I would say in, in, my, in my direction, what was great was that my parents never told me things that I could not do. You know, everything was was possible. And um, then I, li- I was raised in St. August. And then say, you know, we had someone from the Nation of Islam talking, someone from Republic of New Africa talking, someone from the Black Panther Party, you know, so, and, and even end up with, so we were getting these ongoing discussions. And from that, you knew that with the knowledge that you obtained is what, what they call it, each one teach one. So it had to be shared. And, you know, during, during my years of college, uh, that's what I was learning to do. In my 40-some-odd years at Suffolk County Community College, that was definitely my main goal was to have programs that will talk about a stronger sense of self, you know, we're looking at my eye. So basically, I'm, I'm looking at, during my years, I, I would always look at programs that, write uh, the passage program, things of that nature. So not only am I, you know, I'm learning, but I'm also so teaching. You know, then in the 80s, I got involved with, with, with track and field. Uh, through the Suffolk County PAL, and some of those those kids who are now in their fifties, I'm still in communication with today. You know, helping them get college scholarships, helping them survive in college, things like that. So my my story is, is really all over the place. And you know, I can only respond better to specific maybe questions. You know, when you reach my age, there's a lot to share.
3: <laughs> indeed, indeed. Oh, well, Norm, I think you missed a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> Probably did. Um, <laughs> Norm Norm has been at one of the one of one of the colleges for like forty years, and he was the premier person doing the doing the programming at the colleges. My my first Afrocentric program that I went through, I was in high school, and I I was there at the college that he he was he was running. <laughs> he was running the program. Definitely. So I mean, you missed a lot of that. <laughs> so a lot of that. I mean, and for he did that for forty. Some odd years, you know, a yeah. lot of kids I've gone, you know, I've gone through through your programs. A lot of kids. I mean, I'm we're talking about thousands of kids oh. have gone through. And you, since me working there with you, um, we we've helped we've helped a lot of kids do a lot of different things, you know. And you made it possible for for many of them to do what they, you know. Do what they wanted to do and do what they were supposed to do. So I mean, you you, you, you can't gloss over that. You really, <laughs> really can't gloss over that. I mean, and then I'm not even talking about the programming that you were doing out in the community. So yeah, and, and yeah. we're not talking about the track teams that you coached for the last how many years?
7: <laughs> about over thirty.
3: <clears throat> thirty years. That's a lot of children.
7: A lot. Of yeah, yeah. Know. Just recently, I got respect uh, f- uh, from coaches. I was inducted in the Suffolk Coaches Hall of Fame. So I was I was a little happy about that. Well deserved, so, well deserved. Listen, that's,
3: that's that, uh, group, let me tell you, that's a very difficult thing for somebody <laughs> that looks like me to get into. Very, very difficult. They just don't let black folks in. Mm. Yeah, and, that, and that's the truth. Yeah. Yes, yes sir, definitely is. Um,
7: so, you know, I, I think the biggest thing that I tend to look at, in particular terms of how I was raised, and we're talking about family, you know. As you, as everyone was talking, I was thinking of Janza Kandjufu when it says mothers should raise their daughters and love their sons. And I'm thinking about a lot of the programs that we're looking at today, or looking at the empowerment of women, black women. I don't have a problem with that, but we definitely need to have programs, the empowerment and recognition of the role of, of black men and black boys. And I and I realize that even in terms of Africa, if you, if you look at what they're doing in Kenya. They're doing a lot of programs for women, but they're not looking at, at the black man. And, and we have to really look at what does that really mean? You know, is the black man's existence? Is it under attack right now? Suddenly or even um, um, just up front. That's something that we have to think about. But then I was also thinking about parenting. When I was a kid growing up in our house, we had one television. We had one stereo with the radio and 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 all that, the, t- the television was in the living room, the stereo was in the living room, and who controlled it? My parents. I think that when society looked up in around 19, <clears throat> 1959, 1960, when, when they, when they, they decided to distribute uh, transistor radios and portable TVs and record players, kids started mo- put, moving things to their room. And that was the road to what I call the family destruction. To To a point where, you know, where we are today, where kids spend more time in front of a monitor or t- or a TV set than they do uh, in front of their teachers and parents combined. So we have to find ways to look at how can we become more of the center of t- attention of love and communications with our kids. And that's something that we really need to look at.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Um, definitely. Uh, I think that... Um... You know, we we definitely don't look at the the you know the family piece as much as we should. We always like separate the man the women, but not focusing on the family piece. So definitely agree with that. Um, and programming, I think, is super important for that as well. Like some of the work that you've done, uh, you know, Mister Daniels. All right. Uh, did we have anybody else that wanted to share um, or ask a question? Well, if I can, I just wanted to piggyback on what Norm said,
4: because I think it's something I think is highly significant that, you know, that sharing and that connection in the family, you know, my mother and father and grandparents, they shared their music with me. So I know music beyond my, my temporal zone and stuff. I know music beyond my generation, TV shows and all that, because we shared. But once, you know, to me, the 80s, the Walkman, once the Walkman came in and we started taking music out of the sharing and putting it into, or oh, it's a solo listen, you know, that disconnect, you know, is significant because we lost a, a, a major part of our culture. We, for the most part, don't know what our children are listening to. When you say J. Cole, I kind of fringe, you know, because of my middle school students, you know, I kind of know. And I kind of know about the little boozies and loosies and all that stuff because of them. And I know about, you know, the killer, killer Mike and killer, you know, whoever's killing somebody, (laughs) but I don't know the music. So there's a disconnect. My I could speak to my parents about Stevie Wonder and his contributions or about Luther or about Michael or about Diana Ross, because we shared a frame of reference that part of our culture. But when we lost that, And it was right around rapper's delight. That was like where, you know, parents got jettisoned from hip hop. Now we, we can't share anymore, you know, and we don't share as much as we should. Mm. So we need to find creative ways to bring music back into the family and bring, you know, that kind of sharing. Hey, listen to this, listen, even have listening parties, you know, but in order to do that, we have to ask ourselves, you know, is the music that we're programming now, is it going to be suitable to play in front of grandma and ma and, you
3: know, is it, did yeah, we add an elephant that kind of takes it off the table?
6: You know? Yeah. Go I,
3: Stevie Wonder.
6: <laughs> My daughter knows Stevie. My daughter definitely knows her since Stevie. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I think also that this time, this particular generation because they have so much access to information i think it requires us as parents to change the way that we relate to them mm-hmm. and to, because we're not in control <laughs> we we don't we can't rely on any illusion of control of you know of our children particularly because they have access to so much that we literally cannot control mm-hmm. you know so even if even if my so my daughter Begged me and begged and begged and begged to you know to for her to have her own phone. I refused. I was like, I don't want you to be one of those kids who are Mm -hmm. always you know just. So I refused. She bought her own phone. You know, she bought it herself. The first time, the first phone she had, she paid for her own money with it. She pays the bill on it. You know, she did it even before then. All her friends had it, had their phones. So it's not like she was unfamiliar with social media. If your kids are out in the world, you know, they're exposed to so many things that you just have no control over. So what we have to do as parents is create an open conversation, an open relationship with them so that they can they feel comfortable sharing things with us, because that's the only way that we're going to know, you know. And I I think that idea of the listening party, I think you said that, Dr. Love. I think that's great. I think any time that we can create opportunities for our families to get, you know, for fa- to have like family events, to have things that, that, you know, that we can come together on. Those are great. But the day of the one TV and the one stereo, that's gone. And that's never good. Like, that's how I grew up too. We had one television in the living room and my mother would watch it and we were the remote control. You know, it's like, that's how, that's how it was when I was growing up. That's not how it is now. You know? yeah. So, um... So uh, we have to create different, we have to create other relationships with them. So I am, my daughter hides a lot from me because she's a teenager. That's just how she is. Um, However, I've, I've, I believe that I have raised a very responsible person and a person who has a good head on her shoulders and a person who does come to me to talk to me about things, you know, that she has questions about and she knows that I'm not going to judge her. She can play her music. You know, so she, when we're in the car, you know, she she wants to put her music on or she'll be in her room and, you know, she plays her music. And there are some time when she was much younger. I was like, um, let's talk about the amount of cursing that's in this. Uh, you know,
5: that's, really?
6: that's in this song. I don't know how comfortable I feel, you know, about this, but I never like shut her down and told her, you can't listen. You know, you can't listen to this. You can't do that because I want to know. I want to know what it is that you're listening to. If it's something that has like not even the just the cursing, but because cursing are that's that's a choice of words. But I'm more concerned about the meaning. You know what is it that you're saying? Are you listening to music that's talking about being violent to people or about disrespecting people or not caring about people? If that's the case, let's talk about it. Let's listen Mm -hmm. to these lyrics. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we're going to move. You know, in through the world. And then, you know, sometimes she would change, you know, about how she felt about certain things that she was listening to based on the conversations that we would have. But I wouldn't know if she was just trying to hide it from me and just go into her room and listen to it all by herself. Now mm-hmm. she's starting to listen to some um, like heavy metal that's type stuff, you know, that I'm like, what, what, what is this? You know, but I don't let her know that. I'm just like, okay, okay yeah you know i just i wanted to be able to explore and to you know listen to certain things and for us to have open dialogue and conversation because we can't recreate like we can we can recreate the um the uh i guess the spirit of um you know of of days gone by of things that that we had in our childhoods growing up but we are not gonna be be able to recreate that exact thing. So we just have to figure out other ways to bring those opportunities and bring those things out. And I think open communication and honesty and having our children feel comfortable sharing things with us is really the only way that we're gonna be able to do that because they have access to so much that we absolutely cannot control.
1: Great points, great points. Um, well said, well said. Mr. Daniels has a question.
7: Okay, yes. Uh- I mean she was saying so much now you am trying to say oh, the, the biggest thing that I'm concerned about is how we as a society how we as a people how are we dealing with, with the social media thing the, the whole thing with TikTok, Instagram, Facebook uh, what, is, what should we be doing as parents and significant others to kind of find balance in that yeah that it's it's
6: so scary That it, that's very scary but again it's like And I'm not speaking as an expert at all. Like, I am I think parenting is a big experiment. And so I'm, you know, I'm in the process of it right now. And I've done a lot of things wrong, I'm sure. And I think I've done a lot of things right. But I think, again, it's that open communication because we really don't know. We do not know what our kids are doing. And so we have to focus on the values and the principles that we're teaching them and make sure that we have that open communication and honesty. Um you know with the and 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 I think the honesty comes from both sides, like you expect honesty but you also give honesty. Mm-hmm. You have to be honest with your children mm. and you have to explain things to them um the way you would have appreciated things being explained you know to to you. Um I think for my daughter what was really important for me was for her to understand consequences. So it's like, I, you know, I knew early on, I'm not going to be able to control everything that you do, but I do need you to know that whatever you do has consequences. So you have to think deeply about your decisions and you have to know that, you know, whatever you do, it's going to have either a positive or a negative consequence. And you have to be willing to accept whatever that is. And you have to go into it knowing that there could possibly be some consequences. So it's not like when she was little I would let her run into the street or anything like that, but certain things like, you know, if I tell you not to touch the stove, you know, it's like I'm not going to, or you know, if I tell you not to touch the stove and you touch the stove anyway, you got burned. That's your consequence. Like you have to learn from those things. And I I never prevented her from learning consequences. So I think as a result she became very responsible. So all of the Things that that they are exposed to through social media that we cannot control. We really have to rely on us instilling them with principles and values that are going to help them to make good decisions. So much around, you know, the kids are vaping now and they're doing all these crazy challenges, you know, that they learn TikTok. Um But it's like you you can't fight that. You can instill love and and, and values, you know, in them so that when they do see a crazy challenge, you know, on TikTok, they can go, well, yeah, maybe my friends are doing that. But maybe that's not the best thing for me because I understand cause and effect because I understand consequences and I'm not going to put myself into a dangerous position, even though my friends are doing that. Mm. You know, I think that's really the only thing that we can do. We really have to trust them. We have to rely on them. But again, like Mr. Robinson or Dr. Robinson said earlier, we have to give them the tools so that they can make those good decisions, you know, for themselves. And they also have to know that at the end of the day, they are responsible for their lives. We're not like we are responsible for, um, keeping them safe, you know, but everybody's an individual. Mm. They have, they're responsible for you know for for themselves and that's they have to understand you know that's that's a responsibility they have to keep themselves um they have to make good decisions you know for themselves despite all of the stuff that's around them and i can't imagine what it's like to be a child in this age you know
1: great points great points i wanted to add one thing real quick um along with what everybody was saying and mr daniel's question um, I think when it comes to the social media, and the technology, and everything, I think you know middle school age is too young to expose them to all that. I think as you know, their brain chemistry is changing and they're developing. Like it's kind of too much, and I can see. You know, I, I'm I'm in middle schools and I, I see like the impact that it has on these kids, and it's usually not a good one. Um, when they do start, though, I
6: agree. They're getting it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Even when though, like you know they're mm-hmm. they're getting exposed to it, whether I, we well, you're right like it or not. I completely agree. I don't mm-hmm. think. I don't think adults should be exposed. To <laughs> much
1: I, th- I think the next part of it is um, for us to keep up with it because I think um, as we as we um, grow, we kind of lose um, interest in the technology and we lose interest in you know the, some of the things that the kids are doing. But like you said, Jenga, like it's our responsibility to keep them safe. And some of these things, like they're going into it as kids and they don't really know some of the uh, dangers of it all or, or whatever. So I think it's important for us to learn the Instagrams and the Snapchats and what's going on with those, like how they work and stuff like that. And not to let the technology get away from us. Like even if you have to take a class or, you know, I think sometimes even just talking to the kids about it works. Like they can just school you on everything and tell you how it works and how to use it and whatever it is. And I think that's super important for us to to be able to keep up with it and um, have an understanding of what it is, like what it's for, how it's used, who's on it, like all these type of things. So we can, um, you know, have those conversations like Jingle was mentioning, as your child is using these things so we can maneuver them through that world and not be kind of alone in it and lost in it, you know. Uh, Mr. Daniels, do you have another question?
7: Okay, uh, wow, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about a a philosopher by a guy by the name of Camus, and Camus once said, what better way to enslave a man is is to give him the vote and, and tell him he's free. And when, 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 when I think about this, the youth that, that I, I talk to every day, because they I call it, there's a pie, pipe Piper, uh, uh, approach that, you know, they listen to the music, they get into the fashion, and they think because of that, that they're free. So, so in other words, their sense of, their sense of self or se- sense of, 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 of who they are is starting to disappear. Mm-hmm. You know, where they say, sociologists, say if you get two cultures coming together, one culture is going to absorb the other. And I, I think I'm becoming more fearful of that because sometimes you tell a black person, they're black, they don't want to hear it. Um, I was reading something the other day and they were talking about the Caribbean because being that we're a Native American history, but they were in Puerto Rico and they said to the Puerto Ricans, um, how many of you are black? Now, even though Puerto Rico is three cultures of one people and you, Five percent said that they were black. They 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 went to um the Dominican Republic, posed that same question. What do you think the percentage there was? It said it probably, probably said zero. Dominican. <laughs> Dominicans ain't
5: trying
7: to be black. They probably said zero. Uh the five percent. So, wow. so they, they were going oh, be my, to be my 20.
4: projection. I was going to three. <laughs> okay,
7: the next country. Nuka, nuka. <laughs> Haiti. What do you think the percentage of people in Haiti considered themselves black? Three. Three, three percent? I'll go five. There you go. Three percent. Three.
6: Okay. Really? Actually, I that it was, was way what, more than that. No? Yeah,
7: that was for Columbia. It was five percent in Haiti, too. Five percent in Haiti? <laughs> Yes. yes, absolutely. So, so, so it's the, so the question is, you know, uh, we have to find ways of making sure that our kids understand who they are, and I, I think what when I said the Pied Piper approach, I think what, what they're doing is whatever they're being exposed to in school and other situations, they feel like they're part of, of this 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 whole thing that we have in our society. But in only in order to be, to improve or be better in our society. You have to have a stronger sense of self. If you believe in who you are, you can deal with others. But I'll, somehow, uh, a lot of things that are happening is, you know, if you say to so someone, they're black or African, it almost like back in the 1950s, it sounds like it sounds a little derogatory. So so how do we handle those situations? You know, uh, making sure even though people are feeling good because we do a little bit better economically, but psychologically, we're still thinking that, that we're, we're second class citizens.
3: It's interesting. Uh, Norm, seventy-five, seventy-five percent of my class is me convincing, trying to convince black people that they're black. The students—that's—that's that's what I use most of most of the class for because they just—they don't—they don't know, or they just don't want to know. And we're talking about mostly African American students. The the students that are, are African, they kind of hide. You know, they, they they try to blend in a little bit because they don't want anybody to know that they're from Africa. Mm-hmm. I have maybe in one class, I got maybe five students that are, are directly from Africa, and they don't want anybody to know anybody because they're embarrassed. And the other, I, w- I wanted to uh, pose a question to you guys: How is everybody dealing with the uh, gender gender neutral uh, conversation <laughs> oh, with the with the young people? i say this: My I teach gender humanities, but my middle school kids. I shut the conversation down. I tell them to go. I think I think you guys. This is a conversation you guys should go home with your parents and have because sometimes the parents. It's been my experience the parents don't want don't want to talk about don't want you to talk to their children about any of that and this cancel culture um, is is not really cool right now. So I, I just shut it down with the middle school. The the adults are a little different. The college students they're a little different. We can have the conversations and we do have those conversations, but. With the middle school kids, I don't, I don't have the conversations at all because I don't know how developed their parents are, you know, in terms of that. And I can just hear them running, running to the school and saying, "Well, he told, he told my, my child, blah, 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 blah." I don't think he should be there anymore. You know, you have to be very careful okay, in terms of that, and it's mm-hmm. unfortunate. But how are you guys dealing with those conversations?
6: I, I have a lot to say about that. Can I, can I jump in? Jump, <laughs> yes, in. yes,
3: yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely.
6: So my daughter goes to an arts high school, which is known just for being very, um, they're just very free, very liberal. Anything that, that is happening, I guess, in the larger um, community, it seems to happen there first and just happen very, like, um, it's very, very strong, you know. So my daughter has a lot of friends who identify as they and who um, uh, who are just, you know, just Looking at, I think they are, they are, I won't say experimenting, but they are, um, they're navigating identity in a different way mm-hmm. than, you know, than we did. And, and I honestly think that it's a beautiful thing. I think that we are, I think that I, I appreciate where we are with, um, you know, being able to explore and understand identity beyond this really strict binary that was only offered, you know, when, when, when we were coming up. And what I've learned in like I was really confused by it at first. And, um, you know, it's, I still kind of have a hard time calling somebody they like because like they is plural. Right. It's not. Am I talking about more than one person or just one person? So. That, you know, things like that are difficult, you know, people um, changing their names to different names is is difficult, but it shouldn't be because my parents changed their names, you know, not because of any, um, you know, gender Mm -hmm. fluidity thing, but, you know, for different reasons. But in any case, um, you know, it was confusing for me at first, but it's like I'm trying to understand and trying to roll with it and um, also get in a place where it's really not for me to understand, but it is for me to respect someone's identity. And for, you know, for them to be able to say, this is who I am. So if I think, if I look at you and I think you're, you know, you're a girl, but you identify as as male and you want me to call you he, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to try my best to do that because that's how you're identifying yourself. And it really doesn't cause me any harm or pain, you know, to do that. If that's who you're saying that you are, I'm going to respect that as best I can. Um, and I've also learned, and kind of looking more into it. And I'm, I'm not a scientist at all, but I've, I've looked at, um, you know, read something, and you know, so, you know, seen some, you know, documentaries or other information to understand that, you know, biologically, gender isn't binary. You know, gender is not as cut and dry as we thought. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, we, we assume that it is. Not everybody you know, is what is it, X X, X or XY or whatever the chromosomes that make you male or female. You know, not mm-hmm. everyone is either or. There's some people who have, you know, a different biological makeup. And so where do they fit in? You know, like why I think it's a good thing to create an inclusive, you know, a society that kind of recognizes the identities of, you know, of, of everyone. Um, not just, you know, us saying who, you know, who we want them to be. And I think also we live in an extremely gendered society. Our, our language is very gendered. How we treat people is gendered. Um, if you think about it, you know, what's the first thing someone says, you know, when they give a speech? Ladies and gentlemen, you know, it's like they why Why is it that we have to identify people by their sex organs is essentially what you're saying. You know, when you when you say that you it's it's so important for us to know what someone's sex organs are so that we can know how to treat them but what if we actually what if we didn't need to do that what if we were able to address people as as human beings as individuals and you know however they want to identify is you know is is their business i don't need to know your sex organs unless i want to have sex with you you know that's really (laughs) the only reason why i need to know that information you know, otherwise, I'm just going to let you be who you are. Um, everything that we do, you know, from the I remember when we were growing up, my little brother, when he was very young, um, he would call people Hume instead of saying he or she. And we would be like, his name is Juba. Juba, what are you talking about? Who, who? He'd be like, Hume did it. Hume did it. You're like, what is, who, who is Hume? And like later on, it's like he didn't even realize he was doing it, but he actually created a gender neutral pronoun. Mm. He was talking about a person. We didn't know if it was a male or a female, Mm -hmm. you know, but when you think about it, it's not really that important. You know, it's it really isn't. It's like we're all human beings and we should be able to, you know, to be able to treat each other with respect. We don't need to put people in boxes. I don't need to know that a baby is a girl to know like, oh, she's got to have pink things and dolls or if you're a boy you gotta have blue things and trucks. Like we don't need to track our you know, put our children down a particular track just because of their sex organs. Like that it's that it that's unnecessary. And I appreciate like my my daughter's experience um just going to the school that she goes to is um you know opening my eyes to so many things and um the kids are really much more flexible and rolling with it, you know, a lot better. I think than adults are. I know it's been challenging for me, but I'm trying to, you know, just learn more and really respect and appreciate people's identities.
3: Well, what I'm what I'm finding in, on, the, on the college atmosphere is that um, there is an appreciation among among the students of it, but it doesn't supersede race and racism. <laughs> and I, that that's been mm. my struggle and my difficulty because the students are, are fine with structural racism. Uh, and I'm I'm t- talking about the, the students with the pronouns. They're fine with that, except when we talk about the structural racism. They're 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 okay with that. Well, this is kind of what we do. But you're the person that just told me that there's 158 different genders. Um, yeah, you you have to be open and understand what I'm what I'm saying and what I'm talking about in terms of our uh, black folks, and they don't. They, <laughs> it, it's, it's a very hypocritical notion. That we're kind of dealing with, and it's tough hmm. to kind of get them, you know, to understand to understand that. You know, they they supersede, and they say, you know what, you know what I'm saying, right, Professor? You understand <laughs> what I'm saying? And then we go on to to another, and and then there's a racist uh, a racist quotation, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, let's slow down, let's go back, you know. And we go back. I I never thought of it that way. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm kind of dealing with that right now. I think uh, Professor Robinson
1: so that's too. That's why
6: they need you. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they need you, though, because you know they have to make sure that 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 that's front and center, and it should never be a battle. It's not yeah. either either you're pro black or you are okay with gender fluidity. It's like because black people are gender fluid too. You know, it's not it's not an either or thing. And I think that happened with the women's movement that happened with Absolutely. the uh, you know the gay liberation movement and it's always this thing as if as if black people are not women too or black people are not gay too you know it's like we're we're both that's called um intersectionality you know like we we have all of these different identities so we're not going to throw away this one side i'm not going to say i'm not going to deny my womanhood and deny my femaleness in service of you know this um it, If if what I'm being told is black liberation means that I I have to do that, I'm not going to do that. You know, if I was gay, I'm not going to say I'm not going to deny that part of me insert if if other people telling me black liberation requires me to do that. I think that's I think we can have both. You know, I think that we can. And I agree with you, uh, you know, Mr. Robinson, it's it's really important to make sure that that's front and center. And to, you know, to tell these kids, look, you're, you know, you can't, um, you can't, um, you know, promote the liberation of this, of this group, but not the the liberation of this group that has been um, oppressed in this country since, you know, the minute that, you know, that we got here. So you can't, uh, anyway, uh, let me and, uh, myself back on mute.
1: Professor Robinson, um, just to answer your question um, about the whole gender stuff, um, I think is is very confusing because um, it, it just seems like things just keep getting added on. You know, like when I start to kind of make sense out of one thing, it's like a new thing and then new letters and new this and new that. And um, what it seems to me, too, is that like there's no room for, well, like, I, I don't agree with this or this just doesn't make sense. Like there's no room for that. It's like either you're with it or you're not. You know mm. and I'm not you know i'm 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 still like you know confused by it. I'm not saying I'm like either way with it, but for me, it's like, um, why can't people say like, well, I understand, but I kind of don't agree with that, and then we move on. why do people have to be like, this has to be something that you agree with, and this is how society should be kind of thing, so I feel like there's a lot of pressure on people to to go with this whole um you know this whole ideology, even if it doesn't make sense to them, and I think that you know, we could respect individuals and their their right to be able to identify how they want to identify, but for them to say, like, this is, you know, you have to have
3: that same ideology. I'm trying, I'm struggling with that.
2: And
3: it keeps changing. It -hmm. keeps changing. The the textbook that I'm using, um, it came out a year ago. I'm already on the second edition. It, 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 It keeps changing and changing and changing. Right. You know? Well, the foundation, the foundation just, just hasn't really been steadied as of yet. So,
1: you know, I guess we'll, we'll see we'll you know, where where it goes and everything. Um, but yeah, I do yeah. think it, it's really um confusing, and um, you know, trying to make sense. I think, and and I, I talk to people too that 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 identify with certain things, and we have really long conversations and they seem to be confused by it as well so it's like you know i'm 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 trying to have some sense of of all of this and you know it just really hasn't happened yet um but i do respect the individuals right for their sexuality like that's none Absolutely. of my business kind of thing for me it's just the the infiltration into this is what you need to teach your kids this is how society should function this is how we all should be kind of thing you know
6: Yes. Well, I think I mean th- I think that's the nature of of humanity is change, right? Nothing nothing stays the same, and I think it we we may think there have been we may think there's been this sort of steady constant since the you know the the dawn of of, of humans or whatever, but it has. I mean, it's things are always changing. Identities actually change, you know, a, a lot. I think this is a new one. Um, but I think the next generation is not going to think that, it, you know, when they become our age and they're doing their podcast or whatever it is that they do, <laughs> they're, you know, they're not going to think it's it it's a big deal. And I think they won't be, um, you know, they won't be confused by it at all. And I think I would question you, um, you know, Mr. G, why do you feel that you need to understand? And mm. I'm not saying that you do, you know, you do or you don't, but, who, why? Why is it important? I mean, because you said at the end of the day you respect people's identity.
1: Absolutely. And you
6: need to understand it?
1: It's just the pressure that you know society's putting on people that you know, I guess um you know that don't live that lifestyle. That you should agree with this and this is what it is and kind of thing. And there's no room to say like, wait, yeah, I really don't kind of get it. Like I, I respect it, but I don't really get it. Like I, I feel like there's not room for the I don't know and I don't get it and I need to ponder on this kind of thing, and there's pressure for everybody to go with this, like go with this thing, this new thing here, and not really contemplate or think about, you know, what it is, why it is, how it is, kind of thing.
6: Well, in what ways are you feeling pressure to agree?
1: I'm just saying, just from conversations I've had with with people that that um, identify with, you know, certain like there's this like you need to agree with with me, and um, that that whole pressure of uh, this is how you know. This is how you need to be teaching your kids, and this is the ideology that you know we all need to have. Um, oh
3: God, that's a real hmm. contention. I've had students. I, I called someone. I said I was looking. I wasn't looking at the student, and I heard the voice, and it, it sounded like a woman. I said, "How can I help you, madam?" She completely flipped out. I am not a madam. <laughs> I was yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I was like, let let let's just relax. <laughs> Would you like to talk about? She was so angry. When I told her, when she calmed down, I was like, that that could have been a perfect opportunity for you to educate all of us on that. But you chose to get angry, you chose to yell, you said very disparaging things, and I, I had to say to her the next ne- the next disparaging remark, you'll have to leave my room. I was like, I apologize. I didn't know what you wanted to be called because you did not tell me what you wanted to be called. Yeah. I, yeah. You, you can't fault me for that. And he was so angry. And I was like, look at you now. I was like, why are you angry yeah. with me? Oh, I go through this all the time. Well, I'm not. I'm not, ben. Yeah. Uh, if but, you come to me and tell me, then we can dialogue. I can respect that. But how am I supposed to know?
6: But yeah, Paul, that's why people often lead now with their pronouns or you even see in people's emails, they'll put their pronouns, you know, under their under their name. I hope yeah. that doesn't happen to you often. <laughs> you know, but but you, Robinson, you know what? Like that,
7: but that but I like think I think, Paul, what What you got to think about is why she she, she was angry about that. Because when you call someone a madam, that is that they're, they're they're in charge of the house of their repute. <laughs> and I think she was letting you know that she wasn't in charge of the house. of <laughs> yes, <You're saying,
5: right? laughs> she, 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 she was
7: trying to keep it real.
3: But I, I did think about what she must have gone through. You know, in terms yeah. of that, you know, I wasn't oblivious to that. That she, she must have gone through some stuff. You know, in in terms of that. But you can't. And, and and then she said it. You you know what I mean. You're black.
5: <laughs> oh.
3: I didn't even. I was so tired at that point. I just left it alone. I just left it, and she wound up. She came back to maybe one or two more classes, and and um, she got offended because another student asked her uh, uh, asked him his pronouns, and uh, he got really offended by it, and 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 just left and never came back. Now, wow he thought that he was not privy to doing any of the work. He wouldn't do any of the work. And it, it, I think he thought that I was just going to give him, give him a grade, you know, and just just be okay with it. That was really not the case. You know, I, I indicated him several times, you gotta do some work. You know, I did, it, but you gotta do some work. And he, he wasn't, so he just stopped coming to class. You know, mm-hmm. after that, after he got insulted by uh, the young woman asking him about his pronouns. You know,
6: that's that sounds like somebody who is very troubled, who probably needs some, you know, needs some other help. But I think, that, yeah, hopefully that's a unique, hopefully that's a unique situation. Yeah. But I think, yeah, most people now, it seems these days, they will lead, you know, with their pronouns, so that you know, you know how to how to tell them, you know, who you are, and they and appreciate like people that I've asked, you know, what they prefer to be called. Like mm-hmm. they they will tell me. They won't get offended, you know, because you don't know. They have to understand they live in a world that is, um, you know, that's that's gendered. And so people are not always going to understand and know, you know, what what you what your identity is unless you tell them. So,
5: Mm,
7: You know, uh, I'm going to add a little to it. Last week in my class, we had to do, do a discussion on diversity and inclusion. And one of my white students said, Well, if, if, if you, my parents told me that if you talk about critical race theory, I should, I should leave the class. And I said, Well, I said, you could do that if you want. I said, But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you up front. You leave this class. I'm going to fail your ass. And he, <laughs> he decided to stay. So, you know, but, so anyway, the, the next thing that oh, I want to ask you. Uh, being that for the last week or so, there's this big discussion dealing with David Chappelle. Does anyone have any any in- input or, or want to share about what happened with that situation with Dave Chappelle? Interesting.
3: Very interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I caught I caught his act. Very interesting. If if I could get past the N-word and the B word, I'm great. <laughs> I'm great with him. You know, I get what he I get what he he he's alluding to because I've seen it happen in in my classes, you know? Mm. So I get, I understand what he's saying, you know, regarding it. Like, you know, you're able to jump back and, and you can jump back into into formation again if you want to. I, I get it, but I just, that other stuff, that N word, and that it kills me.
7: Yeah, yeah.
3: But I get it.
6: I, I haven't seen it. I, I heard about the backlash against him, but um, I haven't watched the, um, I haven't watched it, so I don't even, I don't really know. It makes a lot of
3: sense. It makes a lot of sense.
6: It's important, though, to just always keep in mind, just again, intersectionality. And I get into conversations with people in my family about this, too, that um, it's not an either or thing. And I think sometimes when we have conversations, when we say, um, you know, protect trans lives, it's like we're imagining that Black people aren't trans. And if we if if we it, or when we say that um you know we need to you know we need to be um, focused on black liberation, it's almost as if we imagine that that doesn't include trans people or gay people or women mm-hmm. even sometimes. You know, it's like we we're imagining that those other struggles and those other movements aren't a part of our movement, mm.
5: and mm. it
6: is, and it's important that we. Make sure that you know we make sure that we don't you know cut it. We don't split that and say either you're this or you're that because that's yeah, not I, reality I, for a lot of us.
7: Right, but you know, and I agree with you. But a lot of those things that's coming back is not really coming back from from, from black people. So if you, if you talk about 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 uh, gays, uh, the, the, the the gay model is a European model when it comes to trans. Um, black people are not saying that that that, that, that black. That, that blacks are not in, in the trans movement. But it's, it's it's the European that is controlling everything. But somehow what they control we think is coming from us. So um and, and I, I think that's that's the question that we have to look at or the situation that we uh, we have to look at. Hmm. So
6: What I don't understand. What, I know you, what do you understand mean it. the gay model is a European model.
7: No, what in other it? words a good example when we came to the women's movement. And when black women were, 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 were the, uh, the women's movement, the whites in the in the, in the women's movement were the ones that were telling black women they should be involved, and black women say we are involved uh but our situation is different than yours but when, when is, we look absolutely. When, yeah, when we're looking at racism and when we look at at power, you're looking at different situations and and it's the same thing like a good example when 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 age was very high. Um somehow, you know, the the, the AIDS in the white community said that AIDS is not a problem anymore. Whereas in the black community well some numbers a lot of things that we're looking at, there are two issues that, that you know, I, I call it the European issue and the black issue. And so that's what I'm alluding to. I hope you can understand that. I hope.
6: I'm not not a hundred percent clear on what, what you're saying, but that's fine. We don't have to go back and forth.
5: You <laughs> don't have to agree. You don't have to agree.
1: Um, great points, everyone. Um, I think uh, X was asking about the whole bathroom thing with uh, you know gender. Now that you know a lot more facilities and schools and different places are putting like the gender neutral bathroom. Like how how we all feel about that.
6: I think that's another. You know that goes back to what we were talking about before about creating a world where um, where we're safe, right? Because what what's the concern? I think I've heard this a lot. You know, with, well, what if what if a man dresses up like a woman and goes into the women's bathroom? But I, I think, I think we really have to work on our men. And somebody mentioned that before too. Poor, you know, men's liberation basically, and boy, you know, teaching our boys, training our boys that they're not animals. You know, you're not someone who can't control your you know your urge you're not someone who's naturally violent like how is it that those things are acceptable among boys I mean how is it that that um you know our response to um someone said this earlier that um you know we have to teach our boys that if they uh i can't remember what the language was but so basically like there's going to be consequences if they hurt women well let's not wait until it gets to that point mm. Like, how are we we training our boys? Like, how are we raising them in the first place to understand who they are and to respect their bodies enough to care about who they sleep with, to care about, you know, how how they operate in the world, to understand that they're not animals, you know, and they're not people who are going to just run around being violent, you know, so it's like a man's I think that we our society we need to create a society where a man's a good man's job is not just to, to um be a bodyguard you know, for for women against quote unquote bad men but to be a part of raising good men to be a part of raising men who understand that the, the what's culturally acceptable is to respect your own body and to respect other people's bodies. And not to you know to here. run around and be violent. So this whole bathroom thing is the. It seems like the concern is if men are going to go into the women, the bathroom and and rape women and you know all of it. It's like what kind of what kind of men are we putting out into this world, you know? But I think mm-hmm. the other thing is an easy way to get to to handle. I've been in such, and I'm sure y'all have seen bathrooms as well, where like um you know there might be a sink outside and there's like individual stalls. And people can just go and, you know, they, and, and, you know, and have their, their privacy, but then there's a sink that's kind of out in, in, in an open area. It's like, that stuff is not rocket science. Like we can figure out a way for people to, you know, safely go to, you know, to the bathroom. Um, but I do think that we need to address, um, you know, safety. We need to address the way well, that we're raising and men. Hmm? A, is that an
3: assumption that men, I don't know about the men in here, but if I'm mm-hmm. going to the bathroom, I'm going to the bathroom. That's um, exactly that's
6: what i'm saying that, that's what is i'm is that saying right
3: that men men are gonna uh, are gonna uh rape and savage, uh, and uh, you know and be savages in terms of women again
6: right isn't, isn't that a problematic ground. isn't that a very problematic that's a very problematic mentality right isn't yeah, that absolutely. that's a very problematic thing to to think because Where'd most people from? just go into the bathroom so why is it a you know why it's a big deal to begin with but when it becomes a big deal is this fear that something's going to happen behind closed doors between, you know, between men and women. So we have to address, we got to address that, right? Well, is
3: it a stereotype? Or well, is it something so. that's happening? See, that, that's my concern. Well, I, think,
6: I, think, I think that it's both. I think that it is something that does happen. Violence against women certainly does happen. So well, I absolutely. think no one can deny that, right? And I'm
3: talking about specifically um, and uh, uh, is, is there some research that I don't know about that 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 women are getting um, women are getting molested and raped by men in, in gender neutral bathrooms because I think that's a yeah, new not thing. Not to my knowledge, yeah. Isn't it? Isn't I, the gender neutral thing bathrooms new? Yeah. So how do they have any data to, to say that? So, from my from my estimation, it, it, it's stereotypical.
6: Yeah.
1: Jingo, are you saying that is that a fear amongst women? Like, have women been talking about like? Good question. No, thing? but
6: I don't think it's a fear among women. But I've heard people who disagree with gender-neutral bathrooms bringing that up.
1: Oh, ah, okay. So that
6: some that some male pervert is going to go into the bathroom and you know and and mess with the women or the you know or children.
5: Got it. Got and so,
6: it. yeah. So that's sort of the mentality that it's going I mean, and I don't think that there's any statistics or any, you know, any data, you know, that actually backs that up, but I think that's the fear. Um, and if that's the, and I'm saying that if that's the fear, then let's deal with that part. Let's deal with why, you know, why is that, why would that be a problem? I don't think the solution is keeping the bathroom separate. I think the solution is dealing with that underlying issue. If that is the issue.
3: I've heard people say it, but I don't know if it's the issue or not. But, I mean, I don't know if you how we how do we deal with something that hasn't happened?
5: Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that the, the bathroom thing is really interesting. Um, it is
3: very,
1: and I think um, too. Like, uh, at what point? At what point? Like, at what point do you put them in? Do you put them in the elementary schools? Do you put them? In, well, they're there.
3: They're yeah, there it's, what, what's interesting about the elementary schools that I was. Uh, I had an open gym last night and we have to check the bathroom. There's only a bathroom for one person. It says it says mm-hmm. gender neutral but, but only one person can go into it at a time. Which is interesting. Both there's two next to each other, which used to be a male and a female. And um but now they're both gender neutral. But if you you can only only one person can there's mm-hmm. one toilet in there and a sink. So, you know, you can you can only go in there one time. That kinda solves the whole problem in terms mm-hmm. of that. Um Norm, I, I haven't been to the one at at, at Suffolk in, at the college. I Haven't been inside. I saw it one, one of them, but I haven't been inside of them. Uh,
7: basically, uh, there's at least one gender neutral bathroom uh, in, in in every building. Okay. But the the other bathrooms, because now this, you're looking at all these different stalls and stuff, they're they're, <laughs> they're still they're still there. Okay. I Haven't seen them. You
3: know, I just saw. I just noticed uh, last night. Uh, at the elementary school that they have, it says gender neutral on it, and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa this is progressive! <laughs> it's gender neutral." So,
2: kansas um, did you have a question, kansas or comment? Um, good morning. Good morning Constance. it is morning in okay. South Africa. <laughs> yes, um, I just wanted to comment on the on the bathroom bathroom issue. Um, I think. As, as, um, as women, we've been placed in such an awkward position where whenever we step into a room with a man, it's like we're going to get violated. So, wow. um, like, um, it's not a stereotype. I think, I think it's mostly because of what women, have, what women have experienced from a very young age. Is that we don't feel safe in spaces with men only. We we need to change how men see us instead of um, because the, the 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 neutral bathrooms will not just be accepted by women um, the way we want to. Um, because of what we've been experiencing since, since young age. So I think that's what, um, the, the previous lady tried to explain is mm. that we, even, it's just whenever there is a majority of men in a room, it becomes very awkward as, as women because you are being viewed differently. You are being viewed as, as, as prey instead of human being. Um so um so yeah that's that's just what I wanted to explain in terms of why we feel um when we go into a bathroom with men, it becomes awkward. Because for me, the moment I go into a bathroom with another with another gender, the first thing that comes in my mind is I wanna get out. Mm. Um, because of whether you you've never violated a woman in any way or looked at a woman in another way, but it's what we've been experiencing so majority of men has placed us in that in that mindset that we cannot trust all men mm. so so yes that's that's just I wanted to explain in terms of what um Jenga was saying.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, man. And um I think for for men, like we don't really put ourselves sometimes in the vulnerable positions that women can be in and understand like the most dangerous thing in a woman's existence is a man. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like just the presence yeah. of a man. Like we don't really feel that. So I think it's kinda sometimes we disconnect from that. Um but, you know, if if we put the other hat on, I think it it, it makes sense to have that fear of a stranger that you don't know coming into a space that you're usually comfortable in, you know what I mean? And not, not knowing like what type of person is in the space, you know, and person that probably is physically stronger than you, you know, so definitely understand that. That
5: makes sense.
1: Yes,
2: because even, even like, we are afraid to even leave our kids with even family members. If you look at it, so the teaching for men to understand that they should stop looking at women as, um, as objects, that needs to start from a very young age. Because even if you have to leave your kids with, um, with, with family, um, with a stranger, it, it, it takes a lot. From a woman to just, um, you know, be open to um, to a stranger, to a to another gender, um, that the whole it's it's the same. Like whenever, um, like now, we have to learn to understand that um, there is a whole different gender that we are not aware of, um, and that yes.
3: Um, how do I how do I navigate that? With okay, I'm I'm as, as you're talking, I understand, but what and I do understand what what about the good guys? Number one, but what about what happens? How do I how do I kind of swallow that when the same thing happens to me when I get around white women and they start clutching their purse <laughs> and it, it 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 did something to me. And it does something to me every time. And you know what you know what the response to me is? Oh, get over it. Get over it. It's not that bad. It's just, you know, it, it it's just the way people are, blah, blah, blah. How do I navigate that? Because I hear what you're saying, and yes. I go through the same thing with that notion yes. that that I I'm the enemy. That's that's
2: that's a d that's a difficult one. I don't know how to um I don't don't even know if I was clear or not,
3: but I just, it just popped into my head that, you know, I, I, you know, and I I know the guys in this room are are good guys. So what do they do? They just get lumped in with the, with the, with with the others? I mean, I say good guys, these guys, I don't think they would ever attack any any woman. It's just not in their character. I've known these guys for years
0: you please true. jump in I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt um i I think this is on an individual level, but a person's trauma is a person's trauma um and so i I'm, I'm, um with the woman speaking right now it, it you it's it's i mean it, it's hard for me to speak because I'm speaking from experience, you know it's unfortunate that when something happens to you at a very young age, maybe just another guy violated, you kind of hold that as you're moving forward in life and it's unfortunate that have to unlearn the things that that, that has happened to you mm-hmm. um but you you can't you can't you can't you still cannot be comfortable as much as um every guy is a good guy you, you know you you go into a situation knowing that but yet again something has happened to you and you're kind of leaning back to that oh my god this could happen again you you know you're, you're watchful um so i think it's it's on a you know that's from a woman's stance again with you and and you know your situation um dr robinson when you speak about you know you're in a room with white women and they they are holding their bags and stuff like that um and you know um it it you know i think chimamanda was a person who said you know there's a danger to a single story i think there's a lot of unlearning and learning in the situation that we're in um mm-hmm. from both sides i mean um
3: right now you know every ju- guy is a bad yes. guy
0: <laughs> no, that's not what it is. It's just we're what I'm from. taking
3: away from it right now. Uh, I,
0: get, <laughs> that, I get what you're I, saying,
3: I, I, I mean I get her trauma is her trauma. I get it, but, but what what what's coming across to me is every guy, every every guy is the bad guy right now. Mm.
0: But that's not. Go ahead. I'm go not ahead. a
1: savage. I think. um I, I think. So, um, I understand exactly what uh the women are saying, and I think again, like for for men, I think we personalize it because we know we good guys. Like we know we were good guys because we know ourselves. But in a strange situation where a woman does not know who you are and you're just there as a guy, then they do sense that fear and that danger. And like and what Tina was saying, like if you've experienced it before, like it makes sense for it to come back. And it's hard to regulate that in your head saying that this guy is safe because I don't know this guy. You know what I mean? So I, I I think I understand like that
5: that kind of perspective and
1: um, but it,
0: it, I, it we we have to be conscious because obviously every person is different right so mm-hmm. it, it's it's about you know it, it's, we're not saying every guy is a bad guy every person every mm-hmm. you know but you have to go into a situation understanding and and almost like you're changing your mindset you know that takes a mental work um, mm-hmm. but but is that but, my responsibility? But, you know, <laughs> no, 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 that is, that is a person. Okay, so what I'm trying to say to you is, <laughs> what, I, what <laughs> I'm trying to get at is, um, you know, it, you. It, there's, a danger, there's a danger to a single story and there's a danger to just thinking that every person is bad. But again, we can't, we can't blame someone from ha- for, you know, you can't, you can't be angry it. at someone who has a traumatic experience. But again, all of these things require education from both men and women because we're only speaking about men doing what they do to you know, some men rather I should say, doing what they do to women, but what about the ones women are doing to men? So, you know, all of these things are just a constant learning, um, from both sides, in my in my opinion, you know, um, and that's that's what I i have to I have to say. Yeah, I
3: understand.
5: Well said, well
1: said, I think we definitely have different experiences as black men and black women. Um and like these conversations are great because we get insight on both both sides, you know what I mean? Um so Thank you, ladies, for definitely sharing that so we can have some insight Absolutely. um all right uh, we'd probably be here for hours talking about yeah, social yeah, responsibility yeah, right. so let's let's um let's wrap it up and uh and formulate some conclusions um that you all can leave us with um I think we we got a great deal of um different responses from everybody based on like their own social responsibility, so I think we get to a point sometimes where people are like, well, what can I do? What can little old me do like I can't do anything to change." the black community and, you know, our social structure and what we're going through and all this kind of stuff, but it really doesn't have to be like, you know, you starting a whole movement or you having a, a organization, like it could be some really simple things. Um, so can we conclude uh, uh, Professor Robinson and uh, Dr. Love with, you know, some simple things that could be done and whatever else you guys want to, you know, leave leave us
3: off with. Well, I'll start, uh, let Dr. Love wrap it up. Um, I mean, even even I um, very simple things, very very simple things, um, with with the children. I work with children, so have a simple conversation with children. Just 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 sit down and talk to them for a few minutes. When you see them, uh, respond to them. Don't know if you care or not. Um, join an organization. Join a group. Uh, Constance was just talking about how how um, you know how men um how how women have this fight. Talk to little girls about about those issues. You know, um, start a, start a children's group. There's so many different things you can do. A volunteer. There 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 are different organizations out there that you can volunteer. You know, for uh, NAACP, any other any of those groups, uh, the local groups. You know, you can do it. Uh, you can do it as a group. You can do it as an individual. But join a group. Speak speak to some kids. Um, our, our responsibility is to teach, and we're all teachers. Every every one of us is a teacher, you know. We just don't realize it, but we're we're all teachers. We're teaching somebody something, and if you don't you don't feel comfortable doing that, then find a group organization, find somebody somebody that will help in that regard.
1: That's Indeed. it. Indeed, thank you for that, Professor Robinson, Dr. Love. Excellent. I just want to piggyback on on. Uh... What
4: Professor Robinson said in terms of, you know, we need to just do more listening in terms of especially from a relationship standpoint with our women. You know, women have been oppressed for so long and held back and held under and undervalued and underappreciated, underestimated that right now. I think we're having like a renaissance where women are just stepping into their power. And I think a lot of men, myself included, you know, we're reactionary to it. like. Oh, you know, where are you coming from? And how can you say these things to me when, you know, we just need to set stuff aside and listen, listen to where they're coming from, listening to how they wish to grow, because it's like charting a new path, you know? And I think that if we do that and then we listen to each other, I think we grow. And like we said at the beginning, if we grow up, You know, then we give permission for our children to grow up and the community to grow up as a whole. You know, I didn't say anything during the whole, you know, the gender identification and all that, because what matters is that we're together on it. You know, I grew up in the sixties and stuff and all these things, transgender, um, homosexuality and all that stuff. It's not new. It's always been here. And we've always embraced people, not for what they practice, but for just for who they are. And we listen. And then we just need to do that more. We're not sitting in judgment of anyone. We're making sure we respect life. We respect people. But we do more listening and take our egos out of the equation. Don't be so quick to condemn for, you know, oh, that's you're going against me. But for just listening and trying to understand. And we're not gonna understand everything and we're not gonna get it right off. But down the line, I think it'll mean something for all of us, something good.
1: Well That's said, good point. well said, well said. Um, thank you, uh, Dr. Love and Professor Robinson for enlightening us today. And thank you for everybody for uh, sharing uh, with us some of the things that you do in your own social responsibility. I think today was very productive. Um, along with that you know I'm an educator myself and one of the things I hear from children a lot is that the adults just don't care they don't care
5: wow listen to us
1: they don't talk to us they you know they they talk at us they're dictators they just don't care about us that's why I don't talk to them that's why I don't mess with them that's why why I don't tell them about my life nothing like they just don't care they Um, snitching (laughs) y'all (laughs)
5: snitching
1: I think um, one of the best things that we can do as adults um, in the black community and is to to show these young kids that we care and for them to be able to feel comfortable coming to us um, because, you know, they're they going to their peer group and their peer group, don't they don't know, like they're giving them anything and they're just rolling along with it. So they right. need us to give them that guidance, but they just don't feel comfortable with us. So we have to show them that we care and that they can come to us. And to have these conversations like Professor Robinson was mentioning with them um, and to initiate it, don't wait for them to come through, like initiate it. We can't have that fear that if I talk to this young man, like he's gonna wanna punch me in my face. Sometimes we really have to, you know, just hope for the best, you know, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. But to be in a position where we can show these kids that we care and we love them and we appreciate them and that they can come to us. And I think that can go a long way, you know, and along with that, social responsibility, I think is personal responsibility. And um if we look back on a great um psychologist, Dr. Francis Cresswellsen, uh she borrowed some of uh, Mr. Neely Fuller's stops in regards to our personal responsibility in the black community. So I'm just gonna read a few of them um that she had along with what he had, like twelve stops that we can stop doing to improve the conditions in our in our neighborhoods, and our communities and just in ourselves. So, number one, stop name calling one another. Number two, stop cursing at one another. Number three, stop squabbling with one another. Number four, stop gossiping about one another. Number five, stop snitching on one another. Number six, stop being discourteous and disrespectful to one another. Number seven, stop robbing one another. Number eight, stop stealing from one another. Number nine, stop fighting one another. Number ten, stop killing one another. Number eleven, stop using and selling drugs to one another, and number twelve, stop throwing trash and dirt on the street and in places where Black people work, live, and learn. And I think for personal responsibility, like if we just attempt to practice those things, and you know, we all need some work, but just the trying to do those things can go a long way in our neighborhoods and our communities, and you know, just to better everything. So, uh, definitely something to think about. Right. So again, thank you guys. Just wanted to add one. Just
4: wanted to add one thing out. One thing that we leave out, and other cultures, I think they have it down better than we do. Stop disregarding our elders. Mm. Our elders have so much to teach us. If we just sit and listen to grandma, and listen to grandpa, and listen to our aunties, and sit down and hear them, they could, you know, they enrich us so much. My grandfather, some of the greatest lessons, I just sat down and would listen. So. Let's not throw them away. They have so much to offer.
1: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. A whole, you know, a whole life to offer. Um, Yeah, man. uh, Thank you for that, Dr. Love. Thank you for everybody for coming through, supporting us on a Saturday night. Uh, And I really hope that we could really try to implement some of those things that I mentioned. And, um, you know, just to try to do some of the small things. Like, it doesn't have to be a huge, you know, starting an organization or going against this and that and the third, but just simply talking to the kids in your neighborhood, like showing them you care, um, providing somebody with something that they need, like and you have access to it. So super important. So let's sometimes stop thinking about just the self and start thinking more about us and what we can do. And I think with Dr. and too, she said, no matter what profession that you're in as a black person, the one thing you should be asking is what can I do for black folks? You know, so if you're an educator, how can you, you know, be an educator And, you know, help us with the education system. If you're a lawyer, how can you, you know, do your job, but also use it in order to help develop us and to help help us grow? So whatever area that you're in, I think that should be like the question. And you can have your own response and your own answer to, to that question, but it should be, you know, this is my profession, but also while I'm doing this, what can I do to help Black folks along with, you know, doing my job? Uh, So again, thank you guys for coming through. Um, We'll see you next time. Uh, And remember, your mind is the most powerful tool in the universe. Therefore, if you can think it, you can do it. If you believe in it, you can be it. And if you fight for it, you can have it. The world is yours. This has been your host, Mr. G, and I will see you next time on Mastermind.